Well, I would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 and find the sermon notes in your bulletin. Those will be of great help to you uh, today as well. But I want to take the next step in our preaching series with this third Sunday of Advent, as this year we are beginning again this seven-year plan, looking at seven mountaintops in God's redemptive story. And this year, of course, the story of Abraham and Sarah and their walk of faith. Today, we come to that third element. We've, we've done a number of things in Genesis and are, are heading today. God's promises are always on time. will take us to the moment when Isaac, the promised son, is born. And I would like you to be thinking about the theme here today, not only the story of Abraham and Sarah, but this theme of God's promises always being on time, because this intersects with, may I say, collides with some of the struggles with, that we have in our own lives, because many of us are waiting for things as well, waiting for things to change, waiting for something to come, waiting for something to repair fix relationships, difficulties, physical things. Many of us are waiting too. And I'm wanting us to, to remember with Abraham and Sarah, God's promises are always on time. He is never late. He's never early. Exactly what he had in mind. So today we're going to see that in Genesis 12 and uh, on the way, all the way through to chapter 21 and beyond is our intent here today. So Genesis 12, if you look at your sermon notes, you see the section called Exploring the Season of Advent, and of course, kind of a review there of, of where we have been. And the part called Today's Text just says a few things about, about the, the, the things we're going to look at together. If you look at my sermon notes, you'll see three movement, movements. I'd love to, for you to see these ahead of time so you know where we're going. So my first heading there, God sent the promised son right on time. That's Isaac. That'll be focused in chapter 21. Then God delivered the promised son. This will be a focus on Genesis 22. And that story of, of Abraham sacrificing Isaac or almost gripping story. We need to talk about that. And then we'll look at God sending Abraham's greater son. That would be Jesus, our savior, right on time as well as we see the gospel. Okay, so that's, that's what's before us today. But I want to come then to Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 and start right here with the text we have been reading multiple times over the last several weeks, what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay, God's word then as we look at it together. Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that statement in itself we call the Abrahamic covenant, and listen, it's repeated, as we'll see, over and over again in the life of Abraham, and details of this show up all the way through the rest of the Bible. You'll find references to the promise made multiple times as you come to New Testament through the book of Acts, the promise God made to our fathers. And it's here uh, kind of encapsulated to Abraham and Sarah, this blessing, this blessing. We saw Galatians 3 a couple weeks ago, and we saw Galatians 3 reference 
this phrase, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I said in that sermon, it is as though it, uh, Paul is telling us uh, that when God said this to Abraham, in his mind, the whole time, was the coming of Jesus, Messiah. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul calls that the gospel in Galatians chapter 3. Well, today then, we take a look at this as the beginning. Now, under the heading, God sent the promised son right on time. This is the beginning of that promise for Abraham. Okay, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have descendants. And you remember at this time, Abram's 75, Sarai is 65, no kids, right? You guys remember this? Somebody tell me yes. Amen. All right, good. That, that way we can move along. I'm going to touch on just a couple of things. So I'm going to have you turn pages with me as we head toward 21. You'll remember with me in chapter 13, this is the moment where Lot and Abram separate. Remember, they had too many flocks and herds. Uh, Lot ends up choosing to head towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It looks like a better place. And of course, we know otherwise. But right after Lot leaves, we saw in chapter 13, starting verse 14, right after Lot leaves, God shows up and repeats the blessing. He repeats the promise. And this is the place where he says, verse 16, I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. That's where that, um, that picture is used, the dust of the earth. This is where it shows up in our text is, is Genesis 14. Now, you move ahead to chapter 14. And last week we touched on the last paragraph which is where Abram is blessed by this interesting figure, Melchizedek, which we spoke of last week. Melchizedek, of course, the subject of a lot of conversation in the New Testament book of Hebrews, this uh, a priest of God most high, the God of crea creation, the God of heaven and earth, and he blesses Abraham. Can you imagine? Abraham pays tithes to him. But in verse 19, Melchizedek says, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So this, this is Melchizedek, rather, blessing Abraham. What an amazing, what an amazing moment uh, of, 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 of honor for Abraham. And I would suggest Melchizedek a prototype of Messiah Jesus. I believe uh, that when it comes to theology, he's a prototype. Certainly Hebrews would teach us this. Chapter 15, again, last week, God comes again to repeat the promise. This is the moment where Abram says, hey, remember the promise? Remember that thing about a kid? Haven't seen one yet. He says it respectfully, of course. An heir, uh, the only heir I have is a servant, that'd be Eliezer. And God says to him, uh, verse 4, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And here he says, he takes him outside and says, can you count the stars? So shall your descendants be. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord. He credited it to him, counted it to him as righteousness. And last week and at the program, you remember we talked about verse 6 as a, as a statement of, of how a person is made right with God, Old Testament and New it's trusting the person in the promise of God. Looking ahead in the Old Testament to Jesus, the New Testament, we look back at, at Christ. 
But but Christ is in the very middle, very middle of it all, the center piece in the whole Bible. Abraham believed the Lord. He counted on uh, it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says this in Romans four, looks at that as a standard of faith. So that's Genesis chapter fifteen. Now, in chapter 16 is that interesting moment with Hagar. You remember, we're on our way to 21, and um, following a custom of the day, and it was that, Abraham and Sarah didn't make this up on their own. It was a a surrogacy uh, custom of the day, but it was not what God had in mind. Ishmael is born. Not what God had in mind. He meant Abraham and Sarah. Chapter 17, this is repeated. God keeps showing up and repeating the promise And here you have the name change moment, chapter 17, verse 4. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations, he says to Abraham. And he says again uh, in this conversation later, verse 17, the discussion, it's going to be with Sarah. Now, the covenant of circumcision is given in this chapter. That's a really big deal in the Bible to us, perhaps. It's kind of an an odd uh, thing to make it a spiritual thing, but it's a covenant in chapter 17 of Genesis. It's a covenant relating to descent. As you can imagine, there's a a great connection here, but it's a covenant regarding your descendants and how they should be raised in faith. And so the covenant of circumcision is given here, and God says to them, this child is going to be from Abraham and Sarah. Now, chapter 18, again, we visited last week. This is the place where Sarah laughs. You remember, as the angelic messenger says, you're going to have this child. She's listening. She laughs. And we'll talk about that again today because laughter shows up again. Did Sarah laugh? Oh, yes, Sarah laughed. Yes, she did. Uh, But what was the laugh? Now, we come to 21. Okay, that was a journey, but I wanted you to feel the years going by. It was. It was years going by between the promise and its fulfillment. So we come to chapter 21, and I want to read 1 through 7. Okay, so this is the moment when 25 years of waiting comes to a conclusion. And we read this. The Lord visited Sarah, as he'd said. The Lord did to Sarah as he'd promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time God had spoken to him. If we had somebody on the drums, that's the moment for the the cymbals. A crash of cymbals. God did what he said. And it's emphasized here. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Yitzhak. Isaac, laughter, of course. That's the meaning of the name. Laughter has been born. Isaac is here. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, laughter, Isaac, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. May I suggest, even though this took 25 years, God was not late. His promises were exactly on time. God had not forgotten. Now, you understand, 25 years in in our life, you know, we talk about dog years and cat years, 25 years in human years is a while. I mean, it is. It's a third of 75. Come on, I can do math. Learned that somewhere in school. And it's a long time. For some of us, we're old enough to remember that shadowy Y2K. Remember when the world was supposed to come to a screeching halt and your car wasn't going to work and nothing was going to, and the whole world was going to fall apart and nothing happened, but I digress. That wasn't even 25 years ago. Wow. 
how quickly. But, but my goodness, 25 years is a bit of time. Now, the laughter, Sarah says, uh, God has made laughter over me. Everyone who laughs will, will laugh over me. What kind of laughter is this? Okay, this isn't the laughter of junior high, is it? See, I remember, I remember um, after Christmas when you get that awkward gift of some article of clothing that comes from a family member and your mother makes you wear it to school in junior high, right? Are you tracking with me? You're trying to be cool. I mean, keep your head above water of the cool line. You don't want to be under. You have to be at least marginally cool. And I remember, I have, I'm scarred from, well, I'm over it now. But I remember this. I really do. I can tell you exactly what shirt I got, and my mother told me I had to wear it to school. And I wasn't smart enough at the time to sneak another shirt along and trade on the way to the bus stop. And my sisters would have ratted me out. I know they would have. Um, But nonetheless, I remember this. And I remember my buddies going, oh, (laughs) Christmas, huh? It wasn't worse than that because I had enough cool points to not get completely humiliated. But I remember junior high laughter, but this isn't junior high laughter, is it? Uh, In our play, this was a thing, and it was appropriate to be a thing because Isaac, of course, the name means laughter. I have the script here. And if I could just remember with you from last weekend, hopefully you were with us. Uh, here's, Here's the moment that we heard from Pastor Ben or Nishan. Ah, Sarah's laughter. A beautiful sound, I'm sure. People laugh for many reasons, Thomas. When they're happy, when they're nervous. Sometimes when they see, things seem so good, too good to be true. Sarah was looking at her life and counting all the things she couldn't do. The angel of the Lord came to her, tell her she should be looking at all the things God can do. Remember, nothing is too difficult for him to accomplish. Boaz says, I don't blame Sarah for laughing, though. And off they go to talk about this. There's different reasons people laugh. This is a laughter, as we highlighted, when something seems too good to be true. Now, some of you recognize this because you're that kind of a person. Something happens and you laugh quickly. Some of you are chucklers, a little more staid in your emotions. Some of you just think about laughing, but you don't. But, but I'd like you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd, I'd like you to look ahead to another day when I suspect you will probably laugh. And that is the day you stand on heaven's shore. And it's real. It's better than you ever thought. And you made it, for goodness sakes, you made it. Not because you're so good, but because Jesus is. And you look around and go, okay. It's like this, and there's joy, and you feel it. And I suspect at that moment, even you who kind of chuckle a little bit inwardly will laugh. I think that's going to be a moment of laughter, joyful laughter. Can you believe this? And if you're with a friend at that moment, as I suspect you will be, the nudge in the side saying, look at this. Can we go there and then there? Can you? Yes, you can. All tears wipe from your eyes. Moments of private pain and agony, gone. I suspect that'll be a moment of laughter when the term Isaac will be fully fulfilled. He makes me laugh. Yes, there'll be a day God will make you laugh too because it'll be so good you can hardly believe it. Now, at this moment, for Sarah, that's the arrival of a child. 
after 90 years of waiting, she's 90 at this moment, he makes me laugh indeed. Yitzhak, Isaac has come. God has made me to laugh. Now, oh yes, there's, there's more to come. There's midnight uh, uh, sleep interruptions and all the joys of go along with little ones. They're not always that cuddly, pretty much, but not always. All of us who've been parents know this. There are other times when they are little holy terrors, blessed ones, but holy terrors. Um, laughter. Laughter. God kept his promise. And Isaac arrived, you ready? At exactly the right time. 25 years of waiting and God was not late. He knew exactly what he was going to do, what he was doing. Now, on this, uh, under this section on your, your sermon notes, the birth of Isaac I mentioned here didn't resolve all the difficult issues for Abraham and Sarah. Uh, indeed, and I would want you to know this, as God keeps his promises and he keeps his promises to you here in this life, and something resolves or a relationship is mended or something else works out in a shocking manner, I just want to remind you, uh, as long as you're in this life, that, that doesn't mean by the fulfillment of one promise that everything's going to be uh, rose after that, does it? Jesus said correctly, John 16, in this, in this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good courage. I've overcome the world. But in this world, in this life, yes, there will be things break, including you. There'll be difficulties and relational challenges. That's part and parcel of living in a broken world, according to Romans chapter 8, isn't it? In this, cre in this world, we groan, we groan. Creation groans, we groan. All of that is in Romans chapter 8. But I say here, God sent the promised son right on time. Now, I want you to look with me. You've got your Bible opens, I hope. Uh, Isaac arrives in chapter 21. Some more things happen in that chapter. Chapter 22, where we'll go next, is the sacrifice of Isaac. So years have gone by, and you come to chapter 23, Sarah, Sarah's, Sarah dies. Now, 37 years go by by the time you get to chapter 23. Isaac's, Isaac's 37 at this moment. I just I know that from doing math. So Sarah's going to die here at 127 years old. I'm just pointing out that the, the passage of time, sometimes we get the idea in the Bible stories as narrative unfolds, like it's just happening like this, boom, 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 and then this happens. Actually, in the Bible narratives, ordinarily, there's this happens, and then years of normal. And then something happens. And then years of normal where nothing remarkable happens. I think about this. What's going to happen after New Year's Day? I know. This is a hard reality. January. You got to go back to work. The kids got to go back to school. It's going to be raining. I know. A lot. It's still going to be dark. And the music's going to be gone, and all the cool glittery lights are going to put them away, and, and, and it's January. Honestly, my least favorite month of the year. All the cool Christmas music. If you play it, people think you're weird, so you turn it off. I'm just saying there's a lot of normal to life, isn't there, where you get up, you go to work, or your kids go to school, and it's normal. And, and so here, Isaac is born. And it's a few years till chapter 22 happens. And then there's a few years until chapter 23. It just is a lot of normal built, uh, kind of baked into God's, God's creation. But I want to come to 22 then. Uh, chapter 22 is troubling to some people. 
And uh, because of, my goodness, the very nature of the story um, where God calls Abraham to do the unthinkable. But I want to read verses 1 through 18 and make just a few comments about it. And I hope disabuse your concerned mind about a number of things. So Genesis 22, now verses 1 through 18 God's word is he talks about this interesting moment in the life of Isaac. After these things, we read, God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, this is the he, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He describes him three ways. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What in the world is this? This is where people get disturbed. Okay, hold on. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he took wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you, is the terminology used. We'll come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. They went both of them together. Now, pay attention to that phrase. It shows up in the story twice. It's there for emphasis. So they, they went, both of them, together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is a very sharp kid. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. And here's the phrase again. So they went, both of them, together. It's repeated. It's repeated for emphasis and it's repeated for a reason. They were together. Father and son were together in this. They went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his knife and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram. Conveniently, okay, caught in a thicket. Amazing. God has provided. Caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, see the emphasis, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, he repeats Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, yet again. So what do you do with this story? May I, may I say right here, it, it is, as an umbrella moment, please get a hold of this for all the people concerned here. Your, your best theology, bring it to the table. Was Isaac in danger? Careful how you answer. Was Isaac in danger? 
Well, humanly, you could say yes, but may I suggest to you, not for a moment. Not for a moment. Because God had that moment in his hands and would not have allowed that terrible act to take place. God was there. Some of you uh, remember there's a painting, if you ever forced to take art history like some of us did. Okay, took art history. Yeah, there's, a, there's a painting of this, this moment, and, and you see an angel grabbing the hold, grabbing the hold of the arm of, of Abraham. Abraham couldn't have done this act if he'd have tried. God would have stopped him at that moment. That's the point of this picture. But can I just say this? This is a picture of Jesus. It's intended to be. The Bible is full of pictures of Jesus. Passover lambs in the Old Testament. All the other sacrifices that you're going to find later on that show up. Uh, the Old Testament law. All of these things point ahead to Christ. A New Testament person only has to open his or her eyes and you will see Jesus here. So this, this is a moment carefully constructed to point ahead to a greater sacrifice that would also take place in a very similar region. Of course, Mount Moriah, present-day Jerusalem, Dome of the Rock. That's the, that's the Muslim holy place to commemorate this moment, Genesis 22. Uh, that's what the rock is. That's the Dome of the Rock. That's the place where Muslims would believe that Abraham uh, took his son Isaac. So it's right there in the heart of Jerusalem. And, of course, that's why it's a big contested spot today, isn't it? If you go to Israel, you see all of that very visibly. It's because of this kind of a scene that that's exactly a holy place. If you look at your notes, I want to, I want to just touch on a couple of parallels. You've got to see it. It starts to make sense of the text. First of all, in chapter 22, verse 2, this reference to Isaac, God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, Ishmael, of course, exists, but in terms of Abraham and Sarah, the subjects of the promise, Isaac is the only son. And of course, you know, it's through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Isaac is the son of promise. He's the focal point. So God can say, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac. Which right away, your New Testament mind goes immediately to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, okay, monogenes, your cool Greek word of the day. Only begotten, one and only, unique. It's Genesis 22.2 in capsule form. Your one and only son, the son you love, he is the one. Jesus, the only begotten son of the father. It means unique one, the one you love, the, the apple of your eye. Okay? It's very similar. Isaac was the one and only son of his father. Next, Isaac readily and completely obeyed his father. That is emphasized in verse 7, as off they go, and he asks about the lamb, and then he gets there, and Isaac or Abraham binds his son and places him on an altar. Um, it's been amply pointed out, Abraham's 100 years old, and at some point, Isaac's young, I mean, certainly here, and he could look at that crazy look in his eye, dad's eyes and say, I'm out, and run, and probably I, I, Abraham would have no chance. Isaac... As a greater son will model years later, Jesus fully and completely trusts and obeys. He didn't run. 
He doesn't fight him. He doesn't argue with him. The son fully obeys, fully submits to the will of the father, even as Jesus, the greater son, fully trusts and fully obeys the father to death on a cross. So that as Jesus wrestles in the garden of Gethsemane and says, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, what is it? Not my will, but yours be done like Isaac hundreds of years before. This is a picture of Jesus. Isaac here readily, completely obeys his father. At the right time, God sends a substitute to die in the place of another, exactly the right time. Right at that precise moment, this ram caught in a thicket. Where in the world did that come from? That just happened to be there, didn't it? Well, no, it was prepared by God. A substitute was sent. John the Baptist, John 129, sees Jesus coming and says of him, what is it? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, at the right time, God will send a substitute. And so in this text, this offering up of Isaac, at the right time, God had a substitute in mind. I'm saying to you, I don't believe Isaac was ever in any real danger if you have a theological mindset. No, God had a, had a ram prepared the whole time. And at exactly the right time, is my point here, exactly the right time, says Abraham, it's time for a substitute. Jesus, the greater son of Abraham, would be a substitute because the Bible says this is the gospel. He died as a substitute for your sin. Even as this ram was a substitute, a stand-in for Isaac, so Jesus was a stand-in for you in paying for sin. That's the point of Jesus dying on the cross, a substitute in our place at exactly the right time. Now, in both cases, the father is confident in a resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, the resurrection was not an afterthought. Did you know this? Did Jesus didn't die on the cross and then God the Father in heaven said, oh no, we must do something about this. No, the resurrection was part of the plan the whole time from before the foundation of the world. Christ dies on the cross and at the right time, Three days later, God raises him from the dead. It was part of the plan the whole time. You wonder, okay, what was on Abraham's mind right here? The writer to the Hebrews tells you in the text that I've given you there in your notes, Hebrews 11, 10, 11 19. What was Abraham thinking? The text tells you he was thinking God can raise the dead. If he's going to call me to sacrifice the son of promise, I'm confident he will raise the dead. That's why he can say, we're going to go worship and we will come back. And to his son, God will provide for himself a lamb, my son. And on they went. Abraham was totally convinced. And that's the point of the story. He was totally convinced. One way or another, God will deliver today. He will. That's amazing. Amazing faith. Now, I want to point out as well, not only that phrase, they went together. The unity is, is gripping, even as father and son Jesus and the Father were one. But also in verse 8, God will provide. Verse 14, the Lord will provide. Some of us remember a song that was based on this text from a couple of, oh goodness sakes, a couple of um, decades ago, uh, mispronounced Hebrew, but that's forgivable. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It's based on this text. The Lord will deliver. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. And indeed, it comes out of this. God will provide. God will provide. God is our provider. And Abraham knew here, God will provide a lamb. 
he'll provide a substitute at exactly the right moment. I'm saying this, God sent the promised son right on time. God delivered the promised son right on time. And my third movement there, God sent Abraham's greater son right on time as well. And I'm going to head toward Galatians 4, but don't go there yet. I have two stops to make along the way, and then we'll get to Galatians 4 and conclude our time here today. But I want to go to Isaiah for just a moment, because here's the thing. Between Abraham and Sarah and their story and this coming of Jesus, there are tremendous parallels. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. God's people waited millennia. They waited a long time for the coming of Messiah Jesus, even longer than Abraham and Sarah. So I pause in Isaiah. I've given you the text right there that I want to stop at. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. I just want you to hear again the voice of the prophets. We'll look at this in much greater detail in a couple of years when we get there in our seven-year plan. Four, year four, but in Isaiah seven fourteen, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Yes, indeed, God, God with us. Chapter nine, verse one begins with that reference to Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Verse nine, or verse Verse 6, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How do I know this is true? Next line, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. God will do it. He will do it. You come to the book of Luke, and I'll just stop in chapter 2 for a moment. One of these great minor characters in the Bible that we get introduced to, Simeon. At this time, an old man, he has a bucket list with one thing left. Imagine that. Everything else is clicked off. Simeon's an older man. Name is, um, says here, he's righteous, devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm in Luke 2, that's verse 25. God has shown him he will not die until he has seen Messiah. Hundreds of years have gone by since the promise, thousands. And here he comes into the temple that day. I guess my picture is Simeon's eating his Cheerios one morning with his coffee. And somehow God says, go to the temple today, go right now. Simeon jumps up from his table, grabs his robe, and heads to the temple, and here comes Mary and Joseph. And somehow God impresses on Simeon's mind, this is the baby. Simeon takes that child in his arms, and he says, oh, Lord. He says he blesses God, not the baby. He blesses God. Lord, now I can die in peace. That's verse 29. I've seen your salvation. This is a great moment. It's a great moment. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. For glory to your people, Israel. Of course, Jesus says some things in Luke 4, fulfillment of prophecy, and I go straight to Galatians 4, all right? Final text, Galatians 4. As Paul defends the gospel, he says to them, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. 
the coming of Jesus, as with the coming of Isaac, was at exactly the right time. Not a day too early, not a day too late, God sent his son to be our savior. Now, I mentioned here the known world, yes, political stability, a common language, Greek, Roman roads, relative security, the blessings even of an invader. Paul calls it the fullness of time. Uh, more can be said here. I want, to, I want to bring a word of assurance, and then we'll kind of land this thing, okay? Um, even as I've said that this morning I wanted you to think about this business of God's promises on time, we come to the conclusion of a year. We reflect on people who started the year with us and at some point left us. And we always wonder, maybe you don't, but I sure do, what's going to happen in the year ahead? Because in the circle of people that I know, I know just the way life goes, there will be some by the time this next year is done that we will have said our goodbyes to. It's the way life goes, doesn't it? And I think about it this time of year. But I want, I want to remind you of this, all of us. We can live with great confidence and assurance that God has us in his hands because even as God had exactly the right time for Isaac, exactly the right time for Jesus, he has exactly the right time for you too. There will not be a day that you will show up at heaven's door and you'll be there early. Knocking on the door and God looks around and says, what are you doing here? This will never happen. Nor will it be a time when God looks at the roll and says, hey, it's time for so-and-so to come. And you're not there because you had too many vitamins. I'm not picking on vitamins or seatbelts or visiting the doctors. I'm just saying, whatever you do is you care for yourself wisely and you should. You will not interrupt the plan of God for you. See, he has you in his hands. He knows your days Psalm 139, before there was one of them, he knows your days. He does. And so you, what this means is you live with confidence that you're cared for by him. So wear your seatbelt, look both ways before crossing the street, and live with joy and confidence. I think about that most often when I travel and different things happen, and you go, huh, that, if I wasn't in God's hands, I could have been worried right there. Uh, that would have killed me. But I know him in God's hands. And I won't show up at heaven's door a day too early or a day too late. And if it's today, if it's today, it doesn't matter where you are. Today will be the day that he'll say, come, be with me. You can do that anywhere. So live with confidence and joy because you're in God's good hands. Um, responding to God's word is a reminder that even as God knew the right timing for Jesus to come the first time, he knows exactly the right time for Jesus to come the second time as well. And he will. More is here. I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we close our time here in prayer. God's promises are always, always on time. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah. We are so grateful for the, the, the lessons that you teach us from them. And I thank you for this mountaintop in the story of redemption. The greater son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We honor him today as we pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen.